people who have made up their minds about what they want to believe on a given subject can occasionally, when they don't give it too much thought, then go on to offer some rather shallow and unreasonably arrived at accusations about whom they think disagrees with them. About whom they think disagrees with them. However, in reality, if they really stop and think about it, they would soon discover that they had quite a bit in common with those people that they think disagree with them on that subject. And I don't mean to tangle that up too much and make it too difficult. I realize it's Sunday night. But just let me say again, sometimes when people make up their mind on a given subject, they, without really thinking about it, will, will talk about people who they think disagree with them, but when they really examine what we all think, find out that that person doesn't really disagree with us at all. And I can think of no greater example in today's religious world than, it when, than when it comes to a certain statement that some of our denominational friends and neighbors have been known on occasion to hurl at us as kind of a venomous <coughs> accusation. But which, ironically, when we really sit down and discuss it, when we really stop and think about it, when they really stop and think about it, any sincere Bible student among them has to admit that we actually see that top subject about the same way. I tried to combine the words subject and topic and come up with a subject. <laughs> but, but, but we do, and, and what they intend as an accusation, if they'd really stop and think about it, they would later find out that we all pretty much see the same way as sincere Bible students. And one of those accusations is, that's often hurled at us, is, well, you people in the churches of Christ believe you're the only ones going to heaven. You think you're the only ones going to heaven. And I suggest to you tonight that if we really stopped and think about it, they'd pretty much agree with pretty much most of our conclusions and not disagree. And I'm going to address that in a sermon tonight entitled, The Only Ones. The Only Ones. And as we begin, I'd like to ask a question. Does God ever tell us who the only ones are or were who either were or are going to be saved or spared in a given situation? Does God ever come right out and tell us who the only, and we're only talking about the only ones. That's the topic. Forget the latter part of that, that statement. But let's just deal with the only ones to begin with tonight. We'll get to the latter part. But does God ever come out and tell us who the only ones are in a certain given situation anywhere in the Bible who are actually going to be the ones who are saved and spared? And the answer is, of course he does. But here's the thing. If God does... And he does tell us who the only ones are who either were or will be saved in some biblical situations. Then as a true and sincere seeker of God, we all would have to understand and accept 
that what we think about the matter doesn't matter except to us personally. If God says, okay, here's this situation, and here's the only ones right here that are going to be spared or saved in this situation, then it doesn't matter what you think or what I think or what the TV preacher thinks or what the guy with 18 letters after his name thinks. It really doesn't matter because God has said these are the only ones in this situation. That makes sense to everybody? So if God did that, then we must pay attention to God. Now, if God's never done that, then it's not fair to think that he has talked about the only ones who would be saved. But the fact is, God has been very clear. God has a long and clear history, a well-documented history, of telling us exactly who the only ones are or were who would be saved or spared or preserved in many different situations. Turn to me in your Bible tonight, for example, to Genesis chapter 6. Now, we all know the account of Noah in Genesis chapter 6. We know that the world was evil. God saw it. We, we understand the whole story. I'm not going to read it. We're very familiar with it. But what I want for us to do is pick up in verse 13. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 13. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Plain and simple. Can't miss it, can't misunderstand it. That's what God said. Later on, we look in verse 18, and we see this statement. God says, but I will establish my covenant with you, speaking to Noah, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives, with you. Now, simple question. Did God tell Noah exactly who the only ones were who were going to be saved or spared in that situation? Did he tell them? Yes, he did. He told them exactly who the only ones were. He said, I'm going to destroy them all, verse 13, except for you and, and your family, these, these eight people, verse 18. Now, that's what God said. told us who the only ones were in this situation. What did those who believed God do, due to their faith and trust in him, when he told them what they needed to do? Well, they did exactly what God commanded them to because they believed him. Look at verses 21 and 2. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. And we know, of course, there were other instructions. Verse 22, Genesis 6. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. Now, did it happen just as God said it would happen that he would destroy the earth? Yes, it did. And all those people that were outside the ark perished, yes. We read this in Genesis chapter 7, verses 7 through 24. So here's the lesson for us. God told them exactly who the only ones were who were going to be spared, and exactly what he wanted members of that spared group to do. Because they believed him, they did it, and they were saved. And they were the only ones, just as and just because that's what God had said. No matter what anybody thought about it, God had said that's the way it was going to work. Now, what if somebody had, had believed something different, said, well, you know, this Noah guy's a little nutty, okay? It, it's never rained, and he's talking about this rain thing, and, and the man's building a boat on a mountain. I mean, come on. 
He, he's a little, you know, Noah's a little messed up. I don't really need to be in this boat, and I'll still be okay. What if they thought that way? Would that have changed the outcome? Maybe some of them did, who knows? But it didn't change anything. Now, here's the thing though. Noah, in believing God and trusting God and being told he was going to be one of those of the only ones that were saved, Noah was not self-righteous by believing God. Listen, believing God does not make you self-righteous. You may be charged with being self-righteous, but believing God does not make you self-righteous. Just like Noah was not self-righteous, he simply believed God, he obeyed God, and it says in Hebrews 11:7, he became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. He became heir to the righteousness according to faith. He was righteous in God's eyes because he heard what God said, he did what God said, and he had always done that. That's what made him righteous. It wasn't a self-righteousness on his part. We say, okay, well, we know that. We, we know in this case, but is there any other place where God told people who the only ones were who were going to be saved or spared in a given situation? And, and the answer, as I alluded to earlier, is definitely. God has a history of this. Turn to me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. God is a God of patterns. God, Malachi 3 and verse 6, does not change. And this is a history thing with God. This is a characteristic of God. Notice with me in Exodus 12, beginning at verse 21. Again, we know the story. The Israelites are, uh, are we're down to, to that point where in order to be saved and spared and, and leave, they need to, to put the blood over the doorways of the Passover lamb. Let's just read it. Exodus chapter 12, help us in the right chapter, now I am, <laughs> verse 21. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that's in the basin, strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin, and none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. Did God indicate who the only ones, our sermon title, the only ones were who were going to be passed over? Yes, he did. The only ones that were going to be passed over were the ones that heard what they needed to do in order to be spared in this situation was to put, was to sacrifice the Passover lamb and to use the blood of the Passover lamb, not a rabbit, not, not a horse, not something, the Passover lamb, and they were to take that blood, specific instructions, and put it over their doorways. These were the only ones that God said he would save. That's it. God was very specific. What did those people who believed in him do when he told them exactly what they needed to do in order to be part of that group that was saved? They did exactly as he commanded in order to become one of the only ones group that would be saved. Verse 28, we read that wherein it says, then the children of Israel went away and did so just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. Now, what would have happened if someone had said, that's an awful lot of trouble to go through. Why don't I just say I believe God and have it over with? Isn't that good enough? I mean, 
I'm a child of Abraham too. Those folks that are going to all this trouble with the blood and, and all of that, they think they're the only ones who are going to be spared, but I'm a child of Abraham too. How silly of them. Now, if somebody had said that, they, they think they're the only ones. And they said, I'm not going to do it. Would they have been saved? No, because the only ones that God promised to save were those who spread the blood over like he told them to. Did it happen just the way God said it was going to? Yes, look at verse 29. Came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of livestock. Listen, when God says, I'm doing this, and in order for you to escape this wrath, this judgment, you must do this, this is the only group that's going to be spared, you best be doing it. Doesn't matter if you believe it's going to happen that way or not. It's going to happen that way. The only thing that matters as to whether you believe it or not is whether or not you're part of that saved group that, it, are, that are the only ones in this instance who are going to be saved. The lesson is God told them exactly who the only ones were who were going to be spared. Those with the blood. Told them what they had to do. Put it over the door in order to become part of that group. He told them exactly what they needed to do to be under the blood. Those who believed him, did it, they were saved. God keeps his word, it's that simple. And they were indeed the only ones that were saved by that instruction was given there in the land of Egypt. Were they exclusively the ones that were? Uh-huh. Is that a little narrow-minded? Uh-huh. Is it true that's what happened? Yes. Is that accurate? Absolutely. Turn to one more in the Old Testament. By the way, I love the selection of the song, Ancient Words. When you go all the way back to Genesis 6, you're going back to Ancient Words, okay? Let's go to one more here, if we can, before we go to the New Testament. Let's go to Numbers chapter 13, would you please? Numbers chapter 13. And while we could choose others, these three came to mind immediately. We know a story in Numbers chapter 13. That's where the 12 spies were sent out, and they go into the Promised Land, and they all come back and only Joshua and Caleb give a good report and the other 10 give this bad report and they say, no, we can't do it even though God promised to give it to them. We, we know the story. That's, jo that's Numbers 13. Let's go to Numbers 14. And look at verse 22. God's upset. God says in, in Numbers 14, 22, because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have put me to the test now these ten times, if not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. Is God very specific about the only ones that will go as opposed to those who will not go? Yep, God was incredibly specific. No question about it. Now, now what if somebody had said, well, God, you're just not being fair. God, you just ain't being fair. That's not fair. And they complained about God's unfairness. Well, we don't have to wonder what would happen in a case like that because, you see, that was precisely the problem. They complained all the time. 
And they complained about this. And we read what happened to them in verses 26 and following. And it says, and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, now watch how many times the word complaint or complains comes up. How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I have heard the complaints which children of Israel make against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness, all of you who were numbered, according to your entire number, from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. Does God tell them who the only ones are that are entering the promised land? What if somebody says, I just don't believe God. I think we can still go. Well, we don't have to wonder about that being a what if because guess what? We have an example of some of those very people who basically, they, they, they said, you know what? We can still go. Even though God told them, he said, the only ones are going to be those, you know, under 20, except for Joshua and Caleb. They said, no, we, 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 we don't think they're the only ones. We think we can. And we read about that right here in these next few verses. If you'll come down with me to verse 39. Um, and notice, well, before we get there, notice verse 36. The men whom Moses sent spy out the land who returned and made all the congregation complain against him by bringing a bad report to the land. Those very men who brought the evil report about the land died by the plague before the Lord. God was real serious about that complaining. But then we get down to where this little group thinks, well, you know what? We've been told that, that us over 20 can't go in, but we're going in. We're, we're going to do this. We can still do this. Even God said the only ones are these people. We want to be part of that, so we're going for it. We read this in verses 39 and following. Then Moses told these words to all the children of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. They rose up early in the morning, went up to the top of the mountain, saying, here we are, and we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. We're going. Moses says, why do you transgress the commandment of the Lord? This isn't going to, this isn't going to work. This will not succeed. Do not go up, lest you be defeated by your enemies, for the Lord is not among you. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and you shall fall by the sword, because you have turned away from the Lord, and the Lord will not be with you. Most of this ain't going to work. You be, God's told you the only ones that are going, and, and that's the way it's going to be, because you haven't listened to God. Oh, no, we're, we're, we've sinned, and we were wrong, but we're going we're to do it anyway. Moses said, they ain't going to work. God's not going to be with you. Look what happens. But they presumed to go up to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp, and the Amalekites and Canaanites who dwelt in that mountain came down and attacked them and drove them back as far as Hormah. As I said at the beginning of tonight's sermon, God has a long and storied history of telling us exactly who the only ones were in several situations who are going to be saved or spared or preserved. And here's the thing. I think that any religious, I'm sorry, I think that any sincere Bible student, any sincere religious person, no matter their denomination, no matter their stripe, no matter their tribe, no matter their whatever you want to put it in terms of, I think that they would have to agree with this statement. 
that they do actually believe that the only ones who are going to heaven are going to be those who get there by following God's instructions. I think that most of them would believe, would say, well, I, I do believe that the only ones going to now, now some of them wouldn't, but most sincere Bible students would say, well, yeah, you've got to get there God's way or you ain't going to heaven. You know what? That's exactly what I believe. And you know what else? That's exactly what every member of the Church of Christ that I know believes. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that the only way to heaven is by following what God said to get there? How many of you believe that? Raise your hand. Look around. Everybody in church does, right? So how is what I believe any different from what they believe if most sincere Bible students of any stripe, most sincere religious people of any stripe, would have to agree that basically the only ones going to heaven are those who do it God's way. Most of them would, would agree with that. Most of them can't say, oh yeah, well you can throw the Bible out the window, we're all going to heaven, although there's a religious stripe or two that do believe that, but they're the minority. So see, that's exactly what I believe. It's exactly what you believe. Pretty much what most of them believe. So, when you really stop and think about that, then the question becomes, okay, well, did God ever tell us in the New Testament, straight out, who the only ones are who are going to heaven? Did, did God ever tell us that? Because, because if we all agree with, with the majority of our religious friends and neighbors who are members of man-made denominations, if we all kind of agree to the general statement that the only people that are going to heaven, the only ones are those who get there by following what God said to get there, then the question has to be, well, did God ever tell us straight out in the New Testament who's going to be saved? And the answer is an absolutely resounding yes, he did. Just as surely as he told Noah the only ones that were going to be saved in his day and gave him instruct instructions on what to do, which Noah and those in his little group did because they loved God, just as surely as God told the Israelites in instituting the Passover, who the only ones were who would be saved were going to be and what they needed to do to become part of that. And just as surely as he told the Israelites after the spies went into the promised land and brought back a bad report, just as surely as God also told them who the only ones were who were going to be saved, God in the New Testament tells us exactly who's going to be saved. Now, whether we agree with it or not doesn't change it. Whether we think that's right or not doesn't change it. It only changes it for us. But it doesn't change the outcome that God is going to have his own way and it's going to happen exactly as God said, just as it did in all three of those cases in the Old Testament. Let me show you whom God said is going to be saved. God told us who would be saved. Did he not tell us in the New Testament who was going to be saved? Yeah, he did. And in order to be one of those, only ones who are saved, we've got to do it God's way. We've already agreed with that with our denominational friends in theory. The problem is, is that a lot of them don't know what the Bible says, and that's where we come in. They agree in theory with that statement, but they don't know what the Bible says because some of our religious friends and neighbors can go to those denominations for decades 
and not get taught what the Bible says about these sorts of things. And so in love and compassion, it's up to us to teach them. Let me show you what God says. Very familiar passages. Some of you may not even want to turn there. See, I can quote that one. Turn there anyway, please. Turn to me to Mark chapter 16. Some of you who may be watching this on the live stream in days, weeks, months, and years to come may not be quite as familiar with these things, but if you believe that the only ones that are going to heaven are those who go there or are going to get there by following what God said in order to get there, then please continue to watch the rest of this live stream. Take notes and look at these. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus said to his disciples, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. When God says, Christ being God in the flesh, when God says, when Christ says, he, when you go into the, the whole world and you teach the gospel, teach about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, teach that he is the Savior, he's the Redeemer, that he, was, that he died, was buried according to the scriptures, raised the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. You go preach it. And those who believe it and are baptized will be saved. Now, when God says that those are the ones who are going to be saved, does that mean that you can not believe and still be saved? No. Does that mean you can believe and not be baptized and still be saved? No. God says the only ones that are going, the only ones that are going to be saved, this text tells us that the only ones who are going to be saved are those who believe the gospel, believe the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and are baptized or obey the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when God tells us they're the only ones in this text, he makes no, no promises for salvation for anybody but that group, does he? Not in this text, he don't then is that the way it is? Uh-huh. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 10 also confirms and backs this up. Now, do I believe, do I believe what God said in Mark 16, 16? He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Do I believe, yes, I absolutely believe that. Does that make me self-righteous? No. I have the righteousness come by faith simply because I believe God. Does that make me arrogant? I hope not. I hope it makes me confident in what God says. You see, confidence is trusting God, and, and, and I can see what God says, and those are the only ones that he promises that to. And, and I believe it because God said it, but if I choose not to believe what he said, and I seek to establish some other way to accomplish my salvation, is that going to change what he said in Mark 16, 16? Is that going to change it? That is still the only way, and those are still the only ones, whether I believe it or not. But my options are, do I believe it enough that I want to become part of that group? That's the question. Because I can't change the outcome, the, the, the final result of what that, that verse says. I can only decide whether or not I want to be part of the only ones, that saved group. Now, Matthew 28, 18 through 20 backs this up, of course. And, and we know, again, that when he talks here about baptism, it's not just baptism for any reason. 
It is for one very specific reason that God makes very, very certain to specify in another passage wherein he tells us once again who the only ones are who are going to be forgiven and saved. Very familiar. Acts chapter 2, please turn there. Even if you can quote it. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 38. We know Peter's preached the first gospel sermon. He's assured them that Christ is Lord. When they hear his message, verse 37, they're cut to the heart, say, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is to you, your children, all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. He tells them right there that the only ones, when they ask what to do, what are we going to do, is you've got to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. That's the reason. Now that's the only group that salvation is promised to. They are the only ones that God says are going to be saved. In fact, it's backed up with the words we just read a little bit beyond that, where Peter says, be saved from this perverse generation. How, how, well, Peter, how do I be saved? Well, you'll be saved by doing exactly what we just said, by, by repenting and being baptized. Those are the only ones that are promised salvation in this passage. Now. Somebody say, well, I don't believe it. Well, someday you will, but you can't change it. There's no, there's no changing it. These are the only ones that are going to be saved or spared according to God, who do this just as surely as the only ones who are going to be saved or spared in the days of Noah were those who were saved in the ark. It's the same thing. We started with the ark, remember? 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 21, confirm for us and use the ark as an illustration that the only ones that were in the ark that were saved through water, the eight souls, that that corresponds to baptism, which now saves us. He says the same thing. Those who believed God and got in the ark and were the only ones that were saved, whom God specified would be saved, corresponds to baptism, which now saves us, because we hear what we need to do to be saved, just like they did in Acts 2, and we do it. They're the only ones. Salvation is not promised to anybody else. Now, do I believe that? Uh-huh. Why? Because <laughs> God said it. Do I believe it because I like it? Because it was my idea? Nope. I thought I saved it as a teenager saying the sinner's prayer. But it wasn't. Why wasn't I? Because that's not what God said. God's told us who the only ones are. That's why I believe it. Well, well what if I sought to, to establish a different way to heaven? Can I surely, can I, can I make a different way to heaven? Isn't there a different path I can make and forge out for myself? Uh-uh. Because God's told us who the only ones are that are going. Another passage is Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Acts chapter 4. Now, now I don't, I, I don't, I'm not self-righteous. I am a sinner saved by grace. I don't have great insight or knowledge or anything else. I'm not better than anybody. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm not, 
I don't have a superiority conflict. Well, look at me, I'm one of the only ones. No, but I do have faith and trust in God that when God says these are the only ones that are gonna be saved, then I'm gonna do what God said. Now, if you wanna call that arrogance, call it what you want. I call it faith, and I believe God does too. In Acts chapter four and verse 12, this passage tells us who the only ones are that will be saved. It's those who carry the name or glorify the name of Christ Jesus instead of some other man. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 it says, nor is there salvation in any other. Notice he's talking about salvation, talking about being saved. He says, nor is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's no other name. There's no other name that can save us. There's no other name we should glorify. That's why I'm grateful to be part of a church that is called by Christ's name, the Church of Christ. Because if I were called the Church of Bill or Frank or Zelda or whoever, there's no salvation there. Now, does that make me self-righteous or arrogant? No. It just means I can read what God said and I trust him. I trust him instead of me. I trust him instead of those men. I trust, I trust his doctrine instead of what men say. Because he said these are the only ones are those who belong to him and, and submit to him. And so that's why I believe it. Now, now if I chose not to believe this and I decided to, to, to be part of a religious group that honored and carried and reverenced and glorified the name of, of somebody other than Jesus Christ, would that change Acts 4 and verse 12? No, it just means that I wouldn't belong to the only group that he says is going. Turn with me to one more very familiar passage, if you will, before we wrap up, and that's in Ephesians chapter 4. We know Ephesians chapter 4, but seeing how we're speaking of the only ones, let's talk about the only ones in light of the seven ones that are listed in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. Very familiar. There's one body which he's told us earlier in, in chapter 1, verses 22 and 3, that's the church. He says, there's one body and one spirit as you were called and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one hope, one baptism, and one God. Brethren, is there one God? Are the only ones who are going to God's heaven those who believe, as God writes here, that there is one God? Yes. There's only one God. I don't believe in Baal. I don't believe in Moloch. I don't believe in Buddha. I don't believe in any other gods that men have made up. That's not arrogance. I trust what God said, and he said there's only one God. As we back up through this, he says there's one baptism. We're going to go backwards. There's one baptism. Well, I was... Some might say, you know, baptized as a baby, or I was this or that, or baptized to become a member of a certain church, or baptized for whatever reason. I was one of those people that believed in a totally different process. But at any rate, the Bible says there's one. Which baptism would it be? Well, this is not opinion. This is not my perspective, this is what God said. The, the one baptism he's talking about is going to be the one baptism he talked about throughout the New Testament, doesn't it? God told us what the one baptism was. It's for the forgiveness of sins. And those are the only ones 
that are going. And so rather than me stand here and complain about it and say, well, God can't be right because God's always right, what I need to do is make sure that I become one of those in that one group. He says there's one faith. Now, in our world today, there's a lot of different faiths, but God says there's only one. There's only one, the only one. What faith would that be? Well, that would be the faith we read about that God told us about in the scriptures, that one. Well, what if I want to become part of another faith? Well, that's up to me because I have individual choice, but as far as God's concerned, there's only one. And the only way I'm going to get to heaven is by being part of that one and only faith, by believing in that one and only Lord. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me, Jesus said. I believe Jesus is Lord, nobody else, not, not me. You know, some people think they're, they're, they're kind of the boss themselves. Well, they ain't. All authority has been given to him, and I, and I believe in the one Lord. And I believe in this one hope of heaven. And I believe in the one Holy Spirit. And I believe there's one church. Why? Because I designed it, because I'm arrogant, because I just think, because I'm part of it, it's got to be the right one. No. That's all human pride. It's got nothing to do with anything biblical. I, I believe there's one body, which is the church, because that's what the book says. I believe God. That's, that's faith. Do I believe that these are the only ones that God accepts? That he only accepts that there's one church, one spirit, one hope, one faith, one baptism, one God? Yeah, I do, because that's what he said. Now, perhaps the, the best passage that sums all of this up is John chapter 15. I don't know how to make this any simpler as we kind of wind this up and conclude than, than John chapter 15. It, it, it couldn't be a lot easier. I have a high school education. After I got out of high school, I went to truck driving school, spent a month there, that's it. I have no college. But I can read. And as I just simply read God's word, and, and especially this passage, I believe it sums it all up. It, it's pretty simple. John chapter 15, I'm sorry, John chapter 14, my bad, John chapter 14 starting at verse 15, not 15 starting at 14, but 14 starting at 15, Jesus said to his disciples that night, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he'll give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer, the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. Now he's talking directly to his own disciples that night. He's telling them, look, I'm, I'm here with you now, but later I'm going to dwell in you in spiritual form, okay? And he says, at that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. That's for the disciples. He's telling them what's coming. And then he says this, and this is so critical for us to understand in verse 20. He says, at that day, I'm sorry, verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, 
and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the words which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Jesus couldn't make it any clearer. He said, look, if you love me, you keep my commandments. You, 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 you live according to my word. And he says, if you do that, verse 23, follow along here with me. He states it once. We'll start in verse 21. He said, and if you do that, then you will be loved by my Father. And if you do that, verse 23, you keep my word, we'll come and make our home with you. Is that promise that God and Christ will come and make their home in us given to anybody else other than those who keep his word? The only ones this promise is made to, the only ones that they will come and live with are those who love God enough to keep his commandments. That's what I believe about who's going to heaven. Is that what you believe? That, that that's the only way. I have a very, 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 very strong belief about the only ones going to heaven. And every bit of it is based on the scripture I've given you tonight. The only ones going to heaven are those who get there by doing it God's way. That's what I believe. You have a name on the outside of your church building that says it's got a biblical name. And that's important. But it's not everything. Because the teaching inside better be what his commandments were too. The bottom line is that any sincerely Christ-seeking person should readily acknowledge that the only ones going to heaven are those who love and trust God enough to keep his commandments to get there. That's what I believe. That's what the Bible says. That's what every faithful member of the churches of Christ that I know believes as well. And we'd ought to have that belief in common, or should I say, those in denominations who are sincere about seeking God ought to have that same belief that the only way to get there is God's way. And, and if that's the case, but they've never learned God's way and how he wants to be worshipped and how we're to live and, and what is necessary in order to be saved and all those things, guess, guess who's got the responsibility of teaching them that? You and me. tonight you are here and you have not taken the steps necessary that God has outlined in his word in places like Acts chapter 2 to become part of the only ones to whom that promise of salvation is given, the only ones who are promised forgiveness of their sins, the only ones. If you've never been baptized into Christ, and I'm going to say to you the same thing Peter said, be saved from this perverse generation. You need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. No other reason. Because they're the only ones that are promised salvation. God's made it very clear. And then after that, it doesn't stop there. After that, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread, the, uh, the prayers, and the fellowship. 
We got to continue in fellowship. We got to continue praying. We got to continue to be here on Sundays to take communion. We've got to continue to be a group that is devoted to keeping the apostles' doctrine, not Joseph Smith's and not Mary Baker Eddy's and not the Pope's and not the televangelists, but the apostles' doctrine. Why do I say that? Acts chapter 2, verse 42, because that's what Peter said. And I believe Peter. You believe Peter? I believe Peter. Where are you tonight? Do you believe God? Rather than arguing about who the only ones are that are going to heaven, let's just agree that the only ones who are going to heaven are those who do it God's way. We know what God's way says. If you've never been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, you need to be. If you've not been living as faithfully as you know the scripture says you should be, you need to be. Maybe you need the prayers of the church to help you with that. We stand ready to assist you in any way we can you become part of the group that's the only ones going to heaven and that's those who obey God please come right now as we stand and as we sing <laughs>